Well, it's good to see everybody today. How are you? Good. Go with me to Matthew chapter one. Um, you know, I love being over at this campus and getting to see all the young people that are uh, making this place their home and serving. And it's, it's a joy to me, to be honest. It's, it's, a, it's a huge joy. I'm not sure I had a lot of your wisdom at your age, although I was parenting pretty early. So um, I got married at 21, and I, I turned 22 in just a couple months, and, and uh, we had a three-year plan to hold off having kids. And then, of course, uh, you know, wife comes and amends that plan. And, um, and so then we, I found myself, you know, I'm 23 years old, 24 years old, and I've got my, my first little one. And uh, you want to believe that you're going to be a good dad. Right? You, you want to believe that that's going to be the case. You want to believe that you'll know what to do. It'll just kind of come naturally. Um, but I want to tell you about uh, a, a, a day when I blew it. Um, if you've ever had to wash out sippy cups before, and you know it's important to make sure those things really, really, really get clean. And when you can't find a sippy cup, that's, that's not good. And I'm an optimist. Are there any optimists in the house? You just believe everything's going to be okay. It's fine. Don't worry about it. That's, these are the things you say. Okay, how many optimists tick you off? Because they're like, well, no, something could go very wrong. Okay, so here's what happens. Uh, I need to have a sippy cup. Can't find one. And I, I did find one in the back of the car. And so... I grabbed it, it needed some washing. I washed it out pretty quickly and stuck some grape juice in it and shoved it into Jonathan's mouth. Now I knew that I did not do the level of cleaning to that sippy cup that really should have been done, but I figured it's okay, it'll be fine. So, so I remember that Jonathan, he's just a little guy, maybe he's 14, 15 months old, something like this, and, and he, uh, He's just having fun. We're going to go out to the mall, my wife and I and Jonathan. And so right as we're about to walk out the door, Jonathan is kind of whiny. And then all of a sudden, he throws up. Just grape juice everywhere, right on the white carpet. And I was thinking to myself, I don't want to tell my wife what I did. Right? I don't want her to know, but I'm sure that that little kid throwing up is my fault. Right? I did not clean up that sippy cup. So I said, I bet he feels better now, honey. Let's go to the store anyhow. And uh, so we pack him up and we're heading out to the, the mall out on the west side. And uh, I'm still not admitting that him throwing up has anything to do with me. So as we're as we're going into the mall, we go into this bookstore and we are looking at all the books on the shelf and, and, and it's this one section, I pulled out this book and it's a thousand and one ways to be romantic to your wife. And so I am, I'm reading this book. She's kind of looking down, Jonathan's standing down here and all of a sudden he starts to cough, which is an indicator something worse is about to happen. And I put the book down and I didn't know what to do. I wasn't anticipating a second vomiting to happen, right? And so I, I threw my hands out in front of him 
and he just, let's just say my cup runneth over, okay? This is the only thing I need to do. I just got down and went like this. And as he's throwing up into my hands, my wife, she does not like the smell of vomit. Maybe many of you feel the same way. And so she doesn't want to end up throwing up herself. So she turns away and this just keeps coming. And I don't know what to do. I'm just sitting there. And, and she turns around and she smiles at me and she says, Nathan, that's the most romantic thing you've ever done. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I'm like, I, I'm trying not to throw up myself. I'm like, could you, could you please find a garbage can, <laughs> right? I'm trying to hold it together. And I knew it was all my fault. I didn't tell her that until afterwards. We had to strip that kid down just to get him home. It was a terrible disaster in my early parenting career. And maybe some of you have had some parenting disasters and, and uh, you, you've lived through it. Apparently your children are still alive and that's good, good for you. I know that sometimes I can have major parenting flaws but I might not be the only person in the room. Is there any, any, any fathers with me that would say, yes, I, I've done that? Maybe some mothers who would say, yes, I've seen my husband do that, right? No, I'm, you know, you, I think we're talking to everybody in the room, right? Well, I got thinking about Father's Day and, and as Pastor Ross said, Father's Day is super special to us at Life Church, and our vision statement is fathering sons and daughters into the kingdom of God because we believe that the kingdom of God is fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. And we know that so many men have left the church because they're not challenged and they don't really connect to a Jesus that has been shown to the world as being a sissified Tweety Bird. Right? They present a Jesus that is effeminate, a Jesus that is weak, and that's not who Jesus was at all. And so Life Church is by design a church that goes after men. If you get the man in the family, you get the whole family. As the man's spiritual well-being goes, he makes sure that everybody in the family gets cared for. And here's what we've noticed, ladies, that women who see their husband growing and thriving and being challenged in his walk with God have a more joyful life. They like to go to the church that's doing that in that man's life. And so Life Church is designed to go after men. And so I got thinking, well, what message as we are all struggling, because being a father or being a mother doesn't mean that we're going to get it right all the time. It just means that we have some examples to go to that can help us because the Lord revealed himself as a father. When Jesus taught us to pray, how did, he, how did he want us to understand who God was? Our father who art in heaven. Why is it that so many people are dealing with dad issues, pains and wounds that carry and follow them all the way through life, except that this role in our life is so vitally important? And yet, where do we go to learn? What if your parent was a disaster? What if your father were absent from your life or a disaster in your life? You tend to see God as you see your dad. And so that could be for good and it could be for ill 
It all depends on what picture you got. You can have some major things that need to be course corrected in your life because your father failed to show you the picture of what God is. And so if we really understand that we're learning so much about what being a man is about from our fathers, because I'm sorry, ladies, but ladies really don't teach men how to be masculine. That needs to be a male force in the life. It's a, it's a funny statistic. Do you know that in most of our prisons, if you go there and, and hand out, Hallmark did this, they handed out Mother's Day cards, and 95% of all of the men who were in prison wrote their mothers a Mother's Day card when given that opportunity. But given the same opportunity on Father's Day, less than 1% wrote a Father's Day card. That shows you what is the ill of our society. And so I wanted to just ask this question. I wonder who Jesus looked at. Because before Jesus got to know his heavenly father, he was the only begotten son of God, right? Before he got to know his heavenly father, who did he look at to understand who God was? That would have been Joseph. And I thought that we could camp out on Joseph a little bit today. So some of the scriptures I'm going to read to you are Christmas. You'll recognize them from Christmas. And a lot of time Joseph gets overlooked in the story. He gets read by. But today I want to look at him because I think that this gives us a character study on the man who raised the Christ. So let's look at what a resume this particular man had. What a responsibility. If you had to say, Hey, I believe that being a, a person who is responsible, you rise to the, to, to the challenges of what is manhood. What is a man of responsibility? What does that look like? Let's look at Joseph today because before Jesus got to meet his heavenly father, he got to meet that very special foster father that God picked for his own son. Joseph, we're told, was a faithful man. Now, what does that mean? He was a faithful man. He obeyed the law even when he was poor and he was under scrutiny. How do we know that he obeyed the law? Well, the law let out that there was a certain thing you had to do whenever you had a son, you were to come to the temple, you were to make a sacrifice, and depending on how much money you had, you made you offered different animals. And if you offered what Joseph and Mary offered, then you offered the poorest of the gifts. It, it showed his economic, where he started at economically. He, it says that they sacrificed two turtle doves. This would have been done on the eighth day of Jesus' life. By the way, he had him in the temple on the eighth day of his life. That would have been the time where he would have, Jesus would have been circumcised and he would have been given his name. Who led them there? His dad did. And it was there, if you remember, that Simeon and Anna both speak this great prophetic word over him. But he had his kid, Jesus, in the house of God at eight days old. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 says, And Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Righteous here is a word that we would use for, it's, it's actually a, a courtroom word, and it means in right standing. 
That's the kind of man he was. He was in right standing with God. And he, he didn't want to disgrace her. If you remember, she, you know, while they're, they're engaged to be married, they're spouse to be married, there was one year between the time of the signing of the contract and when he would sleep with her finally and have the wedding ce- uh, celebration. And what do you know? But he found out that she was pregnant. Now look at the type of man that he was because this brings us to the second thing. He was actually a merciful man. In that day and age, if your, uh, if, if your fiancé got found to be pregnant out of wedlock and, and it's not your child, he knows it's not his child, he hasn't slept with her, what could he have done to her? He could have exposed her and had her stoned. That's what his heart could vindictively do. But he doesn't do that. In fact, we find out that he actually wants to put her away privately secretly. He didn't want to humiliate her for whatever she's done because at this point he doesn't know that this is conceived of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know that. He only knows that his girl is pregnant and it's not his. He didn't stone her. Instead, he decides to divorce her quietly. That was a merciful and compassionate thing to do. Of course, we go on to find out that this actually isn't from some other man. Mary hasn't done anything wrong. She's actually favored of the Lord, but somebody's got to tell Joseph that. Let's look at the next thing. It says that Joseph heard God. He knew what messages were from God and what was not from God. And he has dreams. Now, it totals four dreams that he has And if you look at Joseph in the Old Testament, who Joseph is probably named after, that guy, it's it's said that there's three dreams there. But Joseph, the dreamer, is actually the one who had more dreams is Joseph in the New Testament. And God spoke to him through his dreams. You know, God will speak to us many different ways in our life. Sometimes he speaks to us in our prayer life. Sometimes We're reading the word. Sometimes God sends us a friend. And sometimes God can even speak to us in dreams. God can speak to us through circumstances. He can speak to us through near-death experience. God uses whatever will open our ears to. But in this man's sleep, his ears were open to God. Look at Matthew chapter 1, 19, 21. But when he considered this, talking about divorcing her quietly, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Verse 24 and 25 says, And Joseph rose from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded. He took her as his wife, and he kept her, watch this, he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. Now that's interesting, because it tells us several different things about this guy. Number, let's check this one out. Joseph was a man under authority. God says, I want you to do this. I want you to safeguard this woman. I want you to protect her. And and he's under headship. And he's obedient to the dream that God gives him. Man, to be a man is not to be a man who doesn't obey authority. It's to be a man who does obey authority. Just obey the right authority. 
Joseph is a man under authority. Here's another thing that we could see from Joseph. Joseph was self-controlled. Now, he did not sleep with Mary yet. Now, some people, if you've come from a Catholic background and some other denominations, they teach that Mary was forever a virgin. I'm sorry, that's not true. Because Jesus had brothers and sisters, okay? She was simply a virgin with Jesus, and she's a virgin until he's born. And then after that, he slept with her. But he doesn't sleep with her during the time of the pregnancy. Why is that? I think it's because he's a strategic thinker. He's a guy who realizes that's going to undermine the message that this is conceived of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not going to get in the way of the story. And he honors the time and leaves her alone. He doesn't want to damage what God is doing. He's self-controlled. I also believe that Joseph is a resourceful man. He's a, he, I think he has hard hands. We know that he is a carpenter, or at that point, and if you go over to that side of the world, a lot of, there's not a ton of trees. I've been to Israel. There's not a ton of trees, although they're in this massive reforestation. They're, they're reforesting uh, Israel again with hand-planted trees all over the place. But at that time, it didn't have as many trees. Wood is more of a luxury. And so many theologians believe that Jesus is probably also in the stone carving business. He's a stonemason. What kind of hands would that man have had? Very, very rough hands. You know hard hands when you shake hands with somebody. You know whenever they've spent time getting those calluses built up. And you know soft hands. This man was a resourceful, hardworking man. I want you to notice this next passage of scripture. You're gonna see that, remember when they go to Bethlehem and there's no place to have this baby? He finds a place for her to give birth. And by the time the wise men make it to Bethlehem, he finds them a house. Look at this in, in uh, Matthew chapter two. After hearing the king, they went on their way. This king would have been Herod. And behold, the star which was in the east went on ahead of them until they, it, it came to stop over the place where the child was to be found, the place or the house. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and they worshipped him, and they opened up their treasures, presented him with gifts of gold, with frankincense, and with myrrh. Until those gifts came, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, somebody had to provide for this little family. And that was that resourceful, hardworking man who knew how to get a job and keep a job, how to build a business. Joseph was also a protective father. I think he had big shoulders. There was a point where he was told, hey, this child and the mother is in danger. Look at this, Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 15. Now, when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take up the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. And so he arose and he took the child and the mother by night. How long does he wait after he hears what the Lord wants him to do. It's instantaneous. Get up. We're going right now. 
They departed for Egypt, and there they were until the death of Herod. That was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet. It might be fulfilled saying that out of Egypt did I call my son. You know, a father has to be protective. It's our duty to be protective. If, if, if the guys are not afraid of us when they come after our daughter, something went wrong. Like, there needs to be a, hey, my daughter's valuable to me, and you better treat my daughter with total honor. This is what makes society work. And where we don't value someone else's daughter, things begin to melt down. We need to teach our sons how to, to treat women, how to talk to them, how to honor that family. Because when you marry somebody, you don't just get the girl, you get the whole family. We need to make sure that there's a protectiveness inside of us. Why do we warn the way we warn as fathers and mothers? Why do we do that? Because of love. Protectiveness is, is, is bound in love. I, I have a lot of guns. I just, when the new boy comes over, I lay him out on the table. I, 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 don't, I don't care. I, I purposely want them to see my daughter shooting guns just so they know she's capable to defend herself. I want there to be protection because that's what dads do. Joseph did that. He knew how to talk to God. Now I want you to imagine that you got this huge, I would call it a burden, privilege would also be a word to call it, responsibility, weight, that God says, hey, Joseph, I've chosen you among all men in this world. You are going to father my kid. Tell me that guy doesn't pray. That guy prays. He'd be all the time. Oh, what do I do? How, how do I show him? Could you imagine how much insecurity you would feel? And, and I know this. When you're insecure and you don't know what to do, you pray. When you fear, you pray. When you're worried about your decisions, you pray. I have no doubt in my mind this man knew how to pray, and that's why he knew how to also receive an answer. See, God answers prayers we pray. My, my mom, she was um, my grandfather, who was a farmer, German farmer from western Pennsylvania. He didn't pray. But her, great, her grandfather, my great-grandfather, that was the first time she was, she was a young lady. She walked downstairs, and this man had one eye. He wouldn't go to church because when he went to church, he was made fun of because of his one eye. And so he loved God, and he prayed, but he didn't go to church because he didn't feel comfortable with the people that were there. That's sad to me as a preacher. But that man... When my dad was just, or when my, my mom was just a little, little girl, he got down on his knees, and she walked in on him, and she watched him pray. It was the first time she had ever seen a man pray. You ask her who her great hero in her life was, and my mom's a great woman of God. She'd say it was her grandfather, because he could pray. Do you know, I believe that one of the sexiest things that men can do for their wives is to lead them in prayer. I'm convinced of it. Women want to be led by a man who's a righteous man who will lead her in prayer, safeguard her kids, teach
teach them to love the Lord. He was a guy who knew how to pray. Anybody who is a humble person will know how to pray. What is humility, really? Humility is knowing how much you need God. That's what humility is. Can you be a confident person and a humble person at the same time? Sure you can. You just know how much you need God and you pray. And it's funny to me, as I go to different prayer meetings, I see more older people at our prayer meetings than I see younger people. And I'll tell you why. Because all of their age has given them wisdom. And their wisdom has made them dependent on God. Younger men, don't wait to become men of prayer. Don't wait. You've got older people who are showing you the way. They're fathering you and mothering you. Spend the time with God. Learn that the most important thing you can do in this world is to learn to pray. Yeah, he was humble. Do you know that Joseph actually came through the kingly line of David himself? He was the son of David himself. He is a direct descendant from the richest and wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. That's literally, and you open up the book of Matthew and you see the genealogy right at the beginning, this person beget this person that beget this person. All of it is to tell you that Joseph came through the house of David. You know, there's a lot of people that could have said, well, why wasn't Joseph selected to be the savior? I mean, he's got the lineage. He's the house of David. Why, why not him? But Joseph realizes he's not God's choice for savior. He's not supposed to be king. Can you imagine coming from the unbelievable wealth of Solomon, who the Bible says was the richest man who ever lived? Eat your heart out, Bezos and, and Elon Musk. And yet this man had to offer two turtle doves because he's so poor. And you would go, what happened? Why, why has this greatness not continued? Here I am of this line. And he was a man who realized he was not to be the Savior. He was just to lift up the Savior. His job was to safeguard the Savior, to train the Savior, to model in front of the Savior, to love the Savior's mother, to get down on the floor with the Savior's brothers and sisters and play with them. He was to show him what a man looked like, but he wasn't going to be this great Savior himself. Mary also came through the line of David through a forgotten shoot that nobody had their eye on. And that was the one where Jesus came out of. But God used the son of David to father the final son of David, the one who would be the savior. He was a self-sacrificial man. He bore the burdens of the barbs that were thrown at his family. There would be some that would accuse him. Oh, you just slept with Mary out of wedlock. Oh, you're just trying to hide the age of that kid and how long you've been married and that's an illegitimate son. And there would have been all kinds of barbs thrown at Mary 
And it would have been Joseph who stood up and had to say, don't talk about my wife that way. Right? I'm that boy's father. He let everybody believe that he was that boy's father. So anybody that wanted to accuse him of doing something wrong, even though he didn't do anything wrong, he was totally innocent. He was the guy who stood up to be self-sacrificial and allowed himself to be perceived as the father of Jesus. He was, the, they, they literally said that whenever they heard Jesus teaching between the ages of 30 and 33 years old. They heard Jesus teaching in Nazareth and they stopped and they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Where did he get this kind of learning and understanding? That's how he was known, the carpenter's son. There was no doubt in the eyes of society by that time who Jesus belonged to. And the final thing I think I see about this man is that he was a hero maker. And I think this is one of those things that I would like to leave to you as I think every one of us should be looking to do this. To be a hero maker is not to, it's not to prop yourself up. It's to prop others up that will come behind you. You leave a legacy in other people. Let me just ask this question. What if no one ever knew your name in this world, but they got to know the value of a son or daughter that you trained up? Like I say the word, the name Billy Graham. How many of you can tell me Billy Graham's parents' names? Come on, maybe some, maybe one or two people in this room. But what if you looked at life as who can I leave behind me to do more than I have ever done? And would you be okay if your name was obscure, but everybody got to know the one that came after you? Would you be okay with that? That's what a hero maker does. And I think that Joseph is one of the great hero makers of scripture. All the verses that are recorded in scripture about him never tell us one word he ever said. We don't know a single word. The last story that we get of him is when Jesus is 12 years old and he gets lost from the family on the caravan back home. That's the last time we saw him. But we know he was there building in Jesus, a businessman, a carpenter, a stone worker, making sure that he, he sat at his feet. Where did, where did young boys learn at that day? Did they go to school taught by women? No, they learned at their father's feet. When they went to Hebrew school, they learned from the rabbis right at their feet. From, from the scribes, from the people that were teaching. This was the man who probably spent more time with Jesus. I'm, I'm not trying to say that in any way to, to minimize in any way Mary's contribution to Jesus' life. I just want to maximize the silent hero maker that almost nobody talks about. Did he have weaknesses? Oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure 
he, he, he was afraid at different times. The scripture tells us he was afraid. So did he deal with some anxiousness? Yeah. Did he wonder what to do? Oh, I think so. I think he was presumptuous. He thought Jesus was somewhere else whenever he wasn't with him on the trip back when Jesus was 12 years old. He lost the Son of God. That would be a heavy burden to bear. But he knew where to go and where to find him. I think maybe he had problems with communication, as many of us guys have. Mary, I thought he was with you. Oh, no, I left him with you. Oh, no. Back and forth. He was human with a very tall responsibility. I think that when Jesus sat down with little ones, and he gathered all of them to him, and he told his disciples, don't you prevent those little ones from coming to me. I wonder if it's because he watched his dad get down on the floor and play with Jesus' brothers and sisters. I wonder if he saw the heart for children in Joseph, and that's why he had such a huge heart for children. I wonder if a lot of Jesus' compassion comes from watching a great dad. And I wonder if a lot of his strength comes from that. Being a, a manly man is not the ability to, you know, not be able to sensitively minister to your kids. I love my kids. I cry sometimes when I'm talking to them because I realize the weight of, if they don't get this, I, I, I heard somebody say it this, like this, raising teenagers many times and raising young adults is like watching a train wreck that's happening and it's slow motion and you can't do anything about it. Maybe some of you can identify with that. As you become a parent, you recognize that you, you lose power in their life. It was easier when they were little ones much harder when they're teenagers and young adults. And you watch all of that and you realize that if they listen to your counsel now, there will be blessing. And if they don't, there could be a lot of heartache. I think, I think fathers never quit being fathers. We never take our dad hat off. We're always gonna wear it. And I think that's true of moms too. Now, you can arguably say nobody raised a more important child in this world than Joseph. I agree. But the children that we are raising are really, really valuable to God. Because God himself, a father, gave up Jesus for the love of all the other kids so they would know him. How important are the lives that you're raising? Don't ever stop being what God's called you to be because this guy was called and you're called and our job is not done. And if you're a kid listening to this message, Realize that God put you in that home and he put you underneath that parent 
He chose that. That's not a by accident. He chose that. Because whether your parent is perfect or not perfect, they have inside of them what God knew you would need. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to have to forgive them. Sometimes you're going to have to praise them. But let me tell you something. It's a gift of God. A father, a mother is a gift of God. Don't ever forget it. Yes, do they wound us at times? Yes, that happens. But you've just been given an opportunity to forgive. And here's what I notice about forgiving. The more I forgive, the less I remember that was bad. You can carry those offenses all through your life or you can give them over to Jesus. Because there are many battles left to be fought. I think we're living in the, maybe the toughest time that I have ever seen in this nation. Boy, this world looks a lot more wicked than it looked whenever I was a kid. It looks a lot more unstable than when I was a kid. I look at it and I think, man, today is the day when we need men to rise up to be men. We need men to rise up to overcome the injustice in this world. We need, let, let me tell you, so they might call it toxic masculinity. I'm pretty sure toxic mas masculinity is masculinity. What we need is men to be men. But we need them to be men who know God. You look at slavery that happened, go back in our history, and this is also the week that we talk about Juneteenth, right? 750,000 men died for us to correct the wickedness that was slavery. Some died on the right side of that battle and some on the wrong side. But men died. The vast majority of all those who died in the Civil War were men. And in the end, when the victory had been won and slavery was overcome, there were a group of people down in Texas that were still not free. Slaves, though, even though the battle was won, they weren't set free yet. But once again, it took men to go carry the message of freedom to every corner until all the slaves went free. To recognize who their identity really was, that they were now Americans. And with American, they now had opportunity. Oh, battles still to be fought all over the place. Injustice had to be overcome. But when you really think about it, isn't that the gospel message still? That Jesus has died and the victory has been won. There's liberty for every man and yet there are people who still don't know it. And I just want to ask you, isn't there a spiritual Juneteenth that still needs to happen with our friends and neighbors? That they need to know you don't have to walk in slavery anymore. Salvation has been purchased for you and for me. That's why I love Juneteenth. I know there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I don't like that holiday. I love it. Because to me, it's a message of the gospel. And we need men to take that message.
If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.